Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to another episode of the Anxiety Wad Podcast. I am your host, Corey. I'm grateful that you guys are here once again to listen to my goofiness talk on the microphone. Uh, hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, I had a really good Thanksgiving. Got to spend some time with my folks. Uh, we didn't actually get a chance to travel back home to Iowa. Uh, we had a little snowstorm here, so we haven't yet had a chance to meet our new little nephew that was born on Friday, but soon we will be traveling down south to check him out. Uh, JJ is his name, Jackson Jacob, I believe, uh, born on Friday. So a new uncle once again, and now that is the, geez, I'm going to mess this up. I think that's the 13th, 14th. Uh, niece or nephew that I have. So very blessed to have nieces and nephews. Glad that mom and baby are both healthy. Um, seems like everybody's happy. And I believe that mom already went home. So that's one thing that I am thankful for on top of spending time with my family. Uh, recently, I just posted something on our Instagram about gratitude. And before I get into the show, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that since it's fitting for uh, the recent holiday. And one of the number one things that I talk to people about when I first start uh, talking to them about their anxiety is how much that they actively pursue a gratitude practice. One of the main reasons is we spend so much time in a negative space when we are fearful, when we are terrified, or um, when we're worried. It's just hard to be positive and one of the positive things you can do that takes you know, very little effort is to point out the things in your life that you are thankful for. It really is pain-free. It may seem like a task if you spend a lot of time in a fearful state or a worried state, but simple things. If you're listening to this podcast, be thankful that you can hear. There's one. You're alive. You, you woke up on the right side of the dirt, right? So it's just simple things. And, and the more that you see things in your life to be grateful for, the more that you're going to be have to be thankful for. It, it seems like you're going to get more, but you just start to change perspective and notice the things that you already do have that you should be thankful for. When we're fearful, we look at the end game of, I want anxiety to be gone from my life. And we forget to slow ourselves down and say, hey, wait, wait. Yeah, I want it to be gone. And I'm working towards that part. But what do I have around me that I can kind of slow myself down and think of presence. We spend a lot of time in the future about events that might happen or what, what if that's like the number one question we have when we have anxiety, what if, like, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if I am sick? What if my heart is going to have a heart attack or, you know, what if, what if, what if? And so the gratitude practice has been instrumental in pretty much every person that I've ever worked with. And that's a pretty bold statement, and it might seem a little bit like hyperbole, but it's not. It's the number one thing I ask people about when I first start working with them. And it's probably the number one thing I tell them to incorporate. Now, some people take me up on it and some people don't, but it's a, it's a magic element to your life to find more things to be happy about. And we do this at dinner time with our kids. We always say one good, one bad, and one weird we like to laugh at dinner. So the weird one has been very interesting with a nine and a seven-year-old. So, um, you know, one good thing is the one thing, thing that you're thankful for, for that day. And then, you know, if, if things are, we're having a rough day or if we're, you know, having a hard time going to sleep, we'll start doing that before bed. 
And, you know, my son, for the longest time, when we were working, when we first started helping him with anxiety, we would do a list of seven to 10 things that he was thankful for. And it completely changed his outlook on what he has. Now, he's a kid, so he still just wants to play Xbox all the time. So we, we struggle from time to time to get perspective on, okay, I got to play yesterday, so I need to be thankful for that rather than I don't get to play today. So it's a work in progress. And if you're someone with anxiety, think about the progress versus the end game. And part of that progress is incorporating these skills and drills and practices that help you progress. It's, it's very hard to slow yourself down from wanting just anxiety to be gone to get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm making progress today or I'm making progress in the moment where I can flip my thoughts. If you, when you can flip your thoughts from the what if to no, 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 let's reset. This is what's true and real right now. That's progress because it becomes a habit. And that's like those small little habits like that is how I've progressed to the point of managing anxiety out of my life. It still pops up every once in a while, but for the most part, I have very, very low anxiety, which is crazy to say out loud, being someone that was stuck in my apartment. I I say it often, but it's real. Like I was stuck in my apartment. I was agoraphobic. I had to know where a hospital was no matter where I went, uh, just in case I had a panic attack. Panic attacks in public are terrifying. Panic attacks anywhere are terrifying. You feel like you're going to die. I don't know of anybody that has actually ever died from a panic attack, which is something that you can hang your hat on. It's just, it's something, and and one thing, just to kind of interject this a little bit, I just talked about this with another person the other day, is when you get panicky, just try to convince yourself it's excitement and see what happens. We, t- we do this to my son all the time because, you know, kids are obviously a little bit easier to pers- persuade than we uh, adults and even ourselves. But we're like, maybe it's excitement. And then he'll kind of think about it and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that was kind of a, went off on a tangent there to be uh, for gratitude. But I, I really suggest that you guys start to incorporate that if you haven't already. Do it at night. Do it when, first thing when you wake up. It's, it's honestly the first thing I do when I wake up is I say thank you. To whoever, it doesn't have to be to God, doesn't have to be to the universe, doesn't have to be to the Antichrist or whoever you think is has put us into this magical position of to get to enjoy life, say thank you. Or just say thank you to yourself that you made it through another day. Whatever you do, start more gratitude. It will change your life, I promise you. So, seven minutes on a tangent. Sorry about that. But it's important. You know, it's important to discuss these types of things. So what are we going to talk about today on this episode? I think this is episode 34 already. Yowza. I mean, I have more episodes because I used to do those little um, quick hitters, those quick tips. Um, But this is like the 34th full episode. And we're going to talk about a couple things that are very tied together. Uh, One of which is self-doubt. And the other is what's called the illusion of transparency. Now it's going to, it's going to kind of swing over to social anxiety and your, um, your thoughts behind what other people think about you. And so we'll start with, uh, let's just start with the illusion of transparency. And it's a, it's a psychology term and it's, it's just, it's the tendency for people to, um, overestimate like 
The degree to which, I'm going to read the, this was easier, I'm just going to read the description. It's the tendency for people to overestimate the degree to which their personal mental state is known by others. So basically, other people can see what I'm feeling or thinking. And so where this ties into anxiety is when you go up to, to give a speech, you're thinking more about what other people are thinking than what you are doing. What are other people thinking about me? What is their opinion? How do I look to them? Can they see that my lip is quivering? Can they see that my, or hear that my, my voice is fluttering a little bit? And so that's the illusion of transparency. And what we do if we're someone with anxiety is we create a story from that um, false narrative that we create. Like we think we can understand what other people think about us, especially if you are someone with social anxiety. This is like the, the main ingredient to that social anxiety is, is believing that you understand what other people are thinking in that environment. And so it's kind of a tricky little thing. And so in that, in the speech thing, it's called a spotlight effect. Um, where, where you feel like people are more aware of your nervousness, nervousness or how your speech is going. And they really aren't noticing that much. And, and the reason that I know this personally is I will, you know, I work with both of my brothers and typically if I'm given a speech, one of them are in there. And so when I'm done, I, I really look for that feedback of how to go. And then I've, I have enough openness with both of them. To be like, could you tell how I was feeling during this part or how I was feeling when I started out or X, Y, or Z? And they're going to tell me. We have enough trust trust there that they can just tell me um, if they notice it. And so my spotlight effect and my illusion of transparency are what get me in those times of speaking. Now, the other part of the illusion of transparency is if you're someone that shames yourself, like you beat yourself up and have a lot of self-doubt, you're going to try to tap into this when you see other people you're like, and if you're someone that's um, an empath, like you can sense how other people feel. Now, empath is, is not always accurate. You may sense that, but it might not actually be towards you. It might just be how they feel in general for that day. So you kind of have to be aware of that. But if you're someone with the, the illusion of transparency in a social setting or just a one-on-one, and you're focusing more on how, what they're thinking of you than actually how you feel about yourself, that's where the self-doubt will come in. And so you're giving that person your value that you should be giving yourself, and you're handing it over to them, and you're allowing them to kind of play with it and then hand it back to you. Even though that other person has no idea they're doing that, you are creating that situation. And so one way to kind of mitigate that is to alleviate the, or, or bring yourself to awareness of the limits of other people's perspective, right? So no one can really know exactly what you are thinking ever, just like you can't know what someone else is thinking ever. And so if you know that limit, you can kind of push down that ugly talk that comes up. They're like, oh, they're thinking this right now. I know it. And you can be like, no, reset. You'll never know unless you ask, which more than likely, if you're feeling this way, you're not going to ask them. So what you want to do is, is figure out like the reality of what perception is for other people towards you and hold tight to that perception, right? It, it will reduce social anxiety. It will reduce speech anxiety. And it, overall, it's going to help with your self-confidence, right? So for me, when I get up for a speech, and, and this is what I, I, I probably talk about this a lot too, but like I will be 
like a little cheerleader with pom-poms and be like, you got this. Like they're coming to hear you talk. Like you've prepared for this. You can do this. Rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, all kinds of stuff. Like in my head, because when I get up there, I'm going to know that that ugly voice of, oh my God, they can tell your lips quivering. They can tell that your voice is fluttering. Um, you messed up this word. You were going to say it this way, but you didn't say it that way. I can be like, hold on, hold on. And then I'm saying this in my head as I'm talking. Like, no, no, you're good. You've practiced this. You know your information. doesn't matter that it's not perfect. Keep going. You're going to get less and less anxious. And so it's like an inner conversation where I'm just flipping back and forth, trying to squash down that ugly little gremlin, gremlin that tries to force opinions on um, myself when I'm up there talking. And so uh, one thing to think about too, is I'm totally going to kind of change course here is that when we are in a, in a conversation, we know what we mean when we're saying something, we know our point that we're trying to get across and what happens. And, and again, this is illusion of transparency is we assume that other people understand us. We assume and we expect others to just understand what we were saying. This is something that I've had to work on really hard in my relationships is I think so fast in my brain that sometimes stuff just comes out and I'm like, that's not at all what I was trying to say. And now it, it sounded stupid, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I'm not like beating myself up. I'm just like, why didn't you slow down and think about that before you said that? And, and it's not usually like a foot and mouth type of thing. It's just like, that makes no sense on what you were trying to say. And so if I'm in a hurry, I really have to slow down because I'm going to just kind of blow it out there like a, one of those t-shirt guns and expect people to understand me. Well, that's not realistic, right? You have to give clear and concise information for them to understand what you were saying. And so think clear and concise when you are in that cycle loop of what other people are thinking about you. hundred percent of the time, you're probably not right. I mean, unless you ask somebody, and they say, yes, I was thinking that, you're never going to know. And honestly, how often are you going to say, well, okay, I got to ask you something and it might be uncomfortable. When I was talking about fill in the blank, were you thinking fill in the blank? Or when I was uh, explaining to you on what I, I was doing with this part of my life, were you judging me? Were you thinking I wasn't good enough? Were you thinking that the effort I was putting in wasn't going to measure up to what you were doing? We think those things, but we're not going to ask other people that unless we have really good trust level with them. Like I'd ask my wife that and probably my brothers as well and a few of my friends, but you know, we don't really ask the same questions that we're thinking when we're in a social setting or in a conversational setting. And so sometimes we just kind of have to stop ourselves in the midst of that, um, assuming that we understand what other people are thinking about us and slow ourselves down and say, hey, wait, wait, this is just your ability or your knack, or your habit, or your anxiety of what other people think taking over. Slow down. You really don't know what they're thinking. And you may never know unless you ask. And so there's two ways to kind of um, get over this. Ask people in the moment. <laughs> and if that feels uncomfortable, which it probably would. I mean, some people don't have a problem with that, like I wouldn't. Um, but other people like, you know, and... I don't want this to sound judgmental, but like guys have a little easier time just being blunt about this type of thing than women with conflict. I mean, it, and if you don't believe that, then I'm sorry, 
<laughs> but you know, guys will just ask point blank on certain things, but girls have a little harder time when they're looking for honest feedback sometimes. And you can ask point blank. And then the other thing is to start stopping yourself in that moment and saying, no, no, you really don't know. Let's assume the best in this other person and believe in what I am doing because that's where self-doubt comes in. Self-doubt is just a lack of confidence in your ability, right? And the self, the self-doubt thing is so huge because when we're kids, what are we trained to do? We're trained to learn a ton of information and then we're tested on how well we can regurgitate that information. And this is something I really struggled with in school. Now I, in, in athletics, social settings, I never really had a whole lot of self-doubt. Mine was academics. And it took, um, my second, I think it was my second, first or second stint in therapy until I got all these cognitive tests to kind of diagnose what I was going through. And we ended up taking like a bunch of, um, like these psychological tests. But then we also took an an IQ test because self-doubt was a reoccurring theme in our sessions. And he's like, let me just, let me just give you an IQ test. We can kind of put that to rest. Either you're going to be right or you're going to be wrong. And my therapist looked at me, he goes, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And so we took it and I got the results back and I was like, uh, yeah, I was wrong. (laughs) Now my parents, I had, I was very blessed with wonderful parents and they told me this my whole life, but I didn't believe it. Right. I did not believe in my ability because I learned and well, yeah, basically I just learned different than other people. I wasn't able to do the same things as other people in school. I was super smart. I figured out ways to get on the B honor roll, but I was not the same. So I had this illusion of transparency again of other people think I'm stupid because I can't do it the same way that they can. We're trained to feel that way in school, right? You know, they call, you know, they call it a school, a school of fish, but I was not one to learn to swim like the rest of the people. I was more of a turtle. (laughs) trying to learn to swim and I couldn't stay underwater all day like other people. I had to pop my head up and see what was going on. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't just read something and understand it. I don't have dyslexia, but my, you know, my reading comprehension is something I've struggled with my whole life. I figured out my one way to get through that. And that's audiobooks. but I couldn't just sit and read something and learn it. Like I have to learn by doing or I have to learn by pictures. I can look through pictures of stuff or I can look at something that can be taken apart and I can figure out how to rebuild it. That's how my brain works. But because it was different, because I didn't do it as the way the teacher asked me to, there was a lot of shame involved. And not only self-shame, but I was shamed by teachers. And I would get notes sent home. I would get called out in front of the class and it was just like, I'm, I'm cool with it now, but it's just, it's sad to think that back then they didn't realize that they're like, Oh, maybe he is not stupid or me or, or he is not just not trying. Maybe he's gifted and I'm not going to boast on here, but like that was the case. I was different, but in a good way and my whole life, I didn't think I was because I would tell myself, well, you can't do it the same way as everybody else. Now, a lot of that translated into getting teased and bullied. And so that further agitated my own self-doubt, my own self-talk. And 
you know, you can kind of go through the gamut of, of bullying and teasing as a kid, that sticks with you. And until you can change that narrative and say, no, no, that's on them. That's not on me. Yeah, I, I, it hurt. It hurt my feelings and it hurt me physically. But they were going through something. Super not easy to do. It is hard to do, to get, forgive people that bullied you or hurt you. But it's been the most freeing thing that I've ever done, is letting go of that. I can't do anything about it right now. If I try to, it's probably going to be hung up on the fact that it happened, even though I can't change it. It's similar to trying to change what you think someone else is thinking about you. You can never go back and change someone that hurt you. You know, most of them ended up kind of being friends. You know, some of them moved away and <laughs> one or two of them, if I saw them today, I'd probably smoke them in the face. But that's a whole nother story. Nah, I wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do that. But sometimes that comes up though. If you think about it, you're like, man, like today I'm 6'3", about 235 pounds. I wasn't as, I'm not as little as I was back then. I could probably do a lot more. But that really doesn't fix the problem. What can fix it is being that cheerleader for yourself being that person that will lift you up for yourself. And when I, when I went to therapy and I had to do the, the hardest part that I've ever done in therapy, which is talk to my inner child and let that inner child heal as a parent, like now I'm probably gonna get choked up about it, thinking about it. But like, I, I, I just picture myself walking into my room and I could picture my room and I was sitting on the floor crying and I walked in and put my hands my hand on the shoulder of my little inner self. And I said, you're going to be okay. And man, I tell you the weight just flew out of the room when I did that. It's going to be okay. And so if you're someone that spends a lot of time doubting yourself, ask yourself what need is not being fulfilled right now. For me, whenever my intelligence gets challenged or I feel like someone doesn't believe me, there's an inner battle that's going on for me not to speak out before I think. And so I know that about myself. I've invested time into those types of situations. So I don't just blurt, blurt something out stupid and make, make an idiot out of myself. You know, I let my own dad jokes take care of that for myself, but I've, I've spent time in there and I've, I've invested time in, in, in knowing that that's going to come up. And so when you're in that area of self-doubt, if you're someone that beats yourself up, would you do that? If you have kids, would you do that? Would you talk that way to your kids? So what you're actually doing is being a bigger bully to yourself than whoever hurt you. You're not allowing that inner child in you to heal. Imagine that the way you talk to yourself is there, there's a little child inside of you. You would never do that if you pictured it that way. You'd be in there building that kid up. You'd be in there being the biggest advocate that you could for that child. What need am I not fulfilling by feeling this way? And so for me, what I do now is I, I try to fill that need with learning new things on a regular basis. And it's, it's the spectrum of anything you can think of, whether it's for work and I learn a new part of some sort of computer system which, just to let you guys know, the whole thing about not being smart, I've never had a computer class in my life. 
And now I do a lot of the IT stuff for our company. I do a lot of the systems administration for our company. And anything that needs to be fixed IT-wise, I do that because I've taken that time. And it's probably a little bit of overcompensation, to be honest. Is like, yeah, that's something I might not be good at. I'm going to learn as much as I can to be really good at it. <laughs> so, but like stuff like that, I know that that was something that might come up to um, poke at that little child inside me. And so I, I was like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to take that and turn it into a positive that I become really good at this one thing that I know that I have very little knowledge in. But on a regular basis, and I mean regular, probably daily, there's a little bit of, of, of me that kind of thinks back to that day that I was in that counselor's room and my hand is on the shoulder of that little child inside me. And I said, hey, we're going to be okay. And it, it gets to me still to this day. Like I can feel that. <laughs> but it was so freeing. And one thing, if you're someone that self-doubts, you got to heal that inner child before you can heal yourself as an adult. You know, that's our job as adults is to heal that little damaged part of you that little part of you that was hurt as a child, no matter what it was from. Everybody has something that hurt as a kid. A lot of the ugliness that you see in the world today comes from people that were either abused, neglected, unaccepted, picked on, bullied, whatever. And they have, have yet to heal that part of you. When someone's ugly to me, that's the first thing I think about. I'm like, man, what are they going through? Now, it's, it's not something that I've, that's happened to me overnight. I mean, I've been in fights. I don't anymore because I've spent time learning about that part of myself. And so I can see that in other people now. And so when self-doubt creeps in, you know, stop yourself. Don't let it spin out of control. It, it can grow from a whisper and then turn into a yell. Stop yourself and be like, now would I talk to my child this way? Or would I talk to any child that way? And if you do, then you got a whole other list of issues. <laughs> Please don't do that. Another way to, to help this is, you know, look to the past and, and wash yourself of the memories. There's nothing in your life right now that says you have to re remember the things that happened in your past. There's nothing in your life that says you have to keep reliving them. Except for yourself. If that stuff keeps popping up, you're allowing it to pop up. So you can let it go. It's as easy as saying, nope, I'm not thinking about that right now. And then let it go. And then talk to someone about it. You know, I, I went to therapy and I've, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed, you know, and I, I keep saying this, but you know, my mom was a social worker and a lot of the stuff I talk about um, on a regular basis with both my kids, with you guys on this show, I've learned from my mom. Or I've learned from books about anxiety or books about personal development or books about happiness. Talk to someone about it. And now I know that if, if I get into that dark place again, a couple things have happened. I, I stopped practicing what got me here on a regular basis. And I'm going to go talk to my mom about it. Because I know she's going to either point me in the right direction or talk me through it. I have that one person and I found them. And I have many people in my life now, you know, my wife, my brothers, you know, I have people, you know, that I know from the gym and people all over my life that I've little by little on my scavenger hunt, I've built up people as my allies and people that I can be vulnerable with people 
are your number one asset, even though that's the hardest part to find. I'm just going to keep going on these. I wrote down a list of stuff that you can do. All right. Don't, don't get stuck in the comparison trap. And this is huge for self-doubt, right? We always have our metric as looking to what someone else is doing. That goes back to your childhood. That goes back to grading. Like getting a grade in, in school, you're going to know what everybody else got on a test. It's comparison, right? That's why they, they give you a number of, of like how you graduate. Like I was just one above the top half of my grade for my grades. I still know that. But I compared myself to other people and how they learned. And it was the thief of my joy. I was super creative. And because I didn't learn the same way as other people, I didn't create art the same way as other people, and I would get in trouble for that, I quit creating. Just simply quit. I'm like, nope, not doing it. I shut myself down because I compared myself. Another thing, if you're someone that does self-doubt, is uh, start a journal. Keep a realistic record of your life and then start to gain some clarity by investigating those things. And so write down those thoughts that you're having self-doubt about and then investigate them. Okay, what, what need is not being fulfilled? What kind of clarity do I need to get about this situation? What else can I do to help myself build myself up in these moments? And this, is, this might be a little tough for some people, but just remember, like people really don't care that much about what you do or say. That's why you have to create value for yourself and stop worrying about what other people think about you. Because it will not benefit you if someone else thinks you're a fantastic person. It'll feel good, but what benefit is that going to give you in your life? Because someone may say that, and you're going to feel terrible about yourself still, because you're not building yourself up. You need to be the one to care about what you say or do. You need to be the, care, the one that cares about the value that you can provide in life. That may seem harsh, but... It's like the easiest way to explain it is, is people really don't care that much about what you say or do. So looking for value in what they think is kind of a shot in the dark. There's really no value to it, except for if you can be that person for yourself. Yeah, this is, I already mentioned this one too, is like what someone said or did might not be about you. And this is where I quickly get to now these days is like when someone's ugly to me, it's like, man, I wonder what they're going through. Um... I wrote down, get a boost of optimism. Now I got to try to remember what that's about. Oh, okay. So like, like try to find optimism in other people. And you know, I, if I'm having a bad day, I'm, I'm probably going to get out and be social because I, I can tap into other people's energy. I am someone that's am a little bit empathic and I can tune into other people and I'm going to keep going through and talking to other people until I can key into someone that is in a positive mind frame. I'll quickly move, <laughs> and this probably seems like I'm short with people, but like if someone's in a negative headspace, uh, number one, I don't just, I just don't participate. My wife hates it because, you know, there's times where, you know, and women especially just like to vent, and that's fine. I mean, if that's if that's therapeutic for you to vent, I'm just not one to buy into it and be like, yeah, I agree, because I know she's just venting, and so it's like, okay. So she, yeah. Anyways, get a boost of optimism from someone else. Enthusiasm, motivation, um, let that just overflow. Let your, your, your cup overflow. Now, um, if you've listened to me for a while or, or read some of my stuff on social media, motivation isn't a positive thing. And you may not agree with this, but 
Motivation is doing something when you absolutely do not want to do it, but you do it anyways. It's like bravery. You know, being brave is not the absence of fear. It's being terrified and doing something anyways. That's bravery. Motivation is like, I don't want to go to the gym, but I know that if I don't, I'm going to be farther away from my goal. So I'm going to get up soreness and all tired and all, you know, whatever sickness and all, I'm going to go do it anyways, because I know that that's going to get me closer to my goal by maintaining progress. Motivation for anxiety and curing your anxiety is doing those little daily habits every day, even when you're having a bad day. Progress is the main piece that you should be searching for on a daily basis. Another one I wrote down is is setbacks. They're temporary, right? As we're starting to heal, as we're starting to get better, as our personal development journey continues, we're going to have setbacks, but they're temporary unless we hold on to them, unless we white knuckle them and won't let them go. Like our, our comfort level, even though it's a negative space, our comfort level is going to be that negative self-talk or that fearful thought or that worrisome thought. That's our comfort zone right now. So we have to get out of there. And as we continue to step farther and farther, farther, <laughs> not farter, farther out of that comfort zone, we're going to slide back in there but our time spent in that setback, it gets shorter and shorter. And so I would continue to kind of ebb and flow between positivity and worrisome, but my time in the worrisome uh, mind state would, would be shorter and shorter the farther and farther I got along on my, my positive mindset. And, and when you have that setback, just remember that you're not a failure just because you failed. You had a bad day. The other part of that and the best part of that is asking yourself, what can I learn from this setback? Like, what am I going to benefit from this setback? What's going to teach me? What, what is it going to teach me? The more often you do that in a bad situation, the quicker you're going to get out of those setbacks. Another one is sharpen your skills. Um, you know, you get a lot of self-doubt when you're going to do something big, um, like a presentation for work, um, anything like that. Read a few books about it. Uh, you know, get, get gain knowledge. Like, Whatever it is, uh, learn more about it. The more information you have, uh, the better you're going to be and the more equipped you're going to be to handle the situation with whatever direction that situation goes. Um, you'll feel more you know, confident and relaxed in those kind of situations. And finally, and this is, this is like the main point, is like don't beat yourself up about it. Put your gloves down and pick up pom-poms. Do not talk to yourself like a bully. Talk to yourself like there's that inner child inside of you because it's there. Talk to that inner child like you would want to talk to a child. Like ch children should be talked to. You should teach them. You should comfort them. You should discipline them when they're doing some dumb stuff. Like beating yourself up. Right? Be like, no, no. Reset. Let's try that again. And if you haven't started doing that with your kids, start doing that. Be like, no, no, no. No, let's reset. Let's try again. Or, or you say, let's do better. Try again. And eventually they're going to get it. And my kids will know when I'm going to say try again. Or reset. Or do it again. They know when that's coming. And over time you can condition yourself to be like, okay, let's put the boxing gloves down. Let's pick up the pom-poms. Because I can do this. 
You can do this, everyone. You can do this if you believe in yourself. And beliefs are just thoughts on repeat. And so it all stems from how we think about the events, situations, and people in our life. Nothing more. Think something over and over long enough, it becomes a belief. It's the same way that your anxiety developed, is you had the same worrisome and negative thought over and over and over long enough that you believe that something terrible is going to happen. It's a very simplified version of what anxiety is, but that's what it is. A negative, worrisome thought that you thought long enough and often enough that it became anxiety. But as I've said before, you may have anxiety, but anxiety does not have you. You are in control. Now go out there and take your power back and focus on daily progress through daily habits and flipping from a negative worrisome thought to a positive thought and a cheerleading thought for yourself. So I think that's it for today, guys. Have yourself a peaceful morning, afternoon, or evening. And please keep coming back. We're going to figure this out, I promise. We'll see you.